This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Before we start the show, I have a gift for you. My top five productivity tips for solopreneurs. To get them, go to top5productivitytips.com. That's the number five, top5productivitytips.com. And it's possible that I over-delivered, and you'll have to find out for yourself. Just go to top5productivitytips.com. Sean Campbell has been a professional services firm owner for over 20 years, and he brings a wealth of knowledge when it comes to surviving and thriving as a service firm owner or the leader of a practice area inside a larger services firm. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Now, just so we start on the same the same page of the hymnal, for lack of a better term. And I want to make sure my listener understands what you're talking about. When you say you are a professional services firm owner, what does that mean? It's a great place to start because it's a great line of work to be in, but a lot of people don't have a good concept of it. You know, when we think of businesses, we think of products. We think of stuff we can buy at Costco and at Best Buy or wherever your discretionary income goes, right? Services, though, are a scenario where most people probably have their familiarity when it's things like lawn and garden guys that come and work on your lawn or lawyers or accountants or whatever. So they either tend to be kind of more labor in folks' minds or they tend to be these professional services they use uh, infrequently or perhaps under duress, right? You know what I mean? No one loves going to their accountant. So but there's a whole nother raft of professional services, particularly in the business to business world that are, that's basically the mortar between the bricks of what everything that we see gets happens. Right. I mean, so you've got uh, professional services firms that do it support. You have professional services firms that provide business consulting. You have professional services firms that provide strategy support and, and you've got professional services firms that for basically every functional business group in a company, whether it's uh, development, production, marketing, sales, uh, any one of those things, you could find consultancies who are basically helping those organizations amplify their efforts. And by amplify, that could mean a few quick things. It could mean you're training that organization to be better. It could mean that you're helping analyze that organization just to figure out kind of what they're doing right or wrong. And it could even be that you're basically kind of additional staff where you're basically there until they can find somebody else to hire as a full-time employee. And there's other models beyond that. But we're a professional services firm, and that's what we do. And the key thing to remember about services firms probably overall is um, we're, we're a little dangerous to run because we're not defined by the product itself. And what I mean by that is you can kind of make your services firm into anything you want it to be. And there's a huge danger in that. You can take your talent base and say, well, let's run that project tomorrow. Let's go serve that client. And it's really only constrained by the leadership team saying, no, that's not a smart move for us to do. Whereas if you own a product, I mean, if you make gaming chairs, you make gaming chairs. You don't make lawn chairs. Maybe you could make lawn chairs, but you have to consciously decide to go make lawn chairs and go build a production line of said lawn chairs. With services, you can literally just get a lead and tell yourself it's safe to go after a new market or a new area and take the brain power you have and apply it. And right there is a huge danger for most like small entrepreneurs because if they don't kind of walk through that little valley and challenge the right way, they could end up without a business um, 
in pretty short order. You know, what's interesting is you mentioned about physical products and not having physical products. One of the problems I talk to a lot of my lawyer friends, CPA friends, you know, coaches, because we don't have a tangible product, people are like, well, you have the knowledge. Why can't you just tell me? And I'm like, wait a minute. You know how many years I have to get to work to get this knowledge? And you want me just to tell you, like to use an example, a gaming chair. Yeah, it's a physical product, but people understand, don't understand when you have intellectual property, that's just as value. I would say just as valuable or even more valuable because I went to the school hard knocks. You went to the school hard knocks to get the knowledge you have, but there's this, I don't know, there's this people out, some people, not everybody who thinks, well, it's just knowledge. Why can't you just share with me? And doctors face this all the time because they went to medical school. Well, listen, I don't want to go pay to copay or come and see you. Just can you write me a script? And the answer is no, because that's not how this procedure works. So I'm glad you separated physical products from service products. And I love being in the service industry. Like I have an online membership. I have the podcast. It's all service related and I can pivot much quicker to your, to use your analogy from the chairs than someone who has a physical product. Right, right. But like I said, there's there's a danger in the pivot. I mean, I love running a services firm too, partly because it is a little bit malleable, right? Um, I don't have a production line in a foreign country that's making gaming chairs that it's going to require capital investment for me to change into lawn chairs or into exercise equipment or whatever it world I want to sell next. And so, but the danger, I think, if we're talking about coaching uh, professional services firm owners, the very first thing I always tell people is, they have to keep the focus of their business pretty narrow at the start. And the temptation to make it wide is, is immense. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, cause, cause you roll out, you start out as an entrepreneur. Most people start out as an entrepreneur with like a gig or two. Right. And, and they just feel like, okay, I'm going to make the leap. Right. And the minute the pipe just dries up just a little bit, it gets a little crispy leaf. All of a sudden the pressure to take anything becomes immense like just becomes absolutely catastrophically strong. I mean, you think it was bad when you were working for somebody for your boss to ask you to do something you didn't want to do and you debated whether you'd fight back. That has nothing on this. So like, you know, you you basically find yourself having to decide whether I am going to or not take tens of thousands of dollars or in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars simply because it's not in my lane. And, and that that requires a force of will that isn't frequently taught in business school because business school is all about finding the hundred thousand dollars. It's very rare that there's a discussion about walking away from a hundred thousand dollars. And as a services firm, because of the point you raised that people come to you for your specialized knowledge, if you water that down, eventually you can't charge enough remuneration for it. You can't because it is just common knowledge then. It's the difference between going to the oncologist and the GP. The reason we go to the oncologist is because they have specialized knowledge, right? There's a separate point you raised about why it's not just disseminated for free in general because it's knowledge. And that we could talk about that too, because that's actually an interesting angle. But I would say the biggest initial piece of advice I, I tell everybody is have the force of will to turn down work in the first year of your business. You will make less money in the first year, but you will wake, make way more money in your two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and it'll be easier to make that money. And we can talk about why, but the first thing is I find people just don't know how to turn down business. That's like they're the hardest problem a new guy has running a business. You know, what's interesting is I remember when I first started the wonderful world of productivity, people asked me, well, who's your audience? I'd say everyone. 
like, no, Mark, you can't have everyone. I mean, you can serve everyone, but it can't be your target market. And so now I mainly go after solopreneurs because they have very unique situations when it comes to productivity. Now I can still go into a fortune 500 company, but I'm aiming towards solopreneurs, but I fought that for years. I'm like, I just wanted to cast a wide net, but the problem is it was, it was ineffective. When I started narrowing down first to entrepreneurs, then the solopreneurs, it got a lot easier, believe it or not. It got a lot easier because all my content is centered around solopreneurs instead of like, okay, do I do it for uh, Fortune 500 CEOs? Do I do it to VPs? Do I do it to C-suite? But now I just focus on solopreneurs. So even though I'm niching down, it's actually easier than if I than if I cast the wide net. Right. Well, that's the thing. That's where it is easier because because basically a lot of things get quicker. Your your marketing funnel is quicker because you're you're narrow casting. Your time to retain a customer is you know less and get the second engagement. The amount of time you retain customers is longer because they see you have specialized expertise, right? It, it's all those kinds of things. I think um, one of the other things that's interesting, though, when it comes to people thinking about like why you don't give it away for free is that um, I, I think it is hard for people to conceptualize the amount of time you spent to gather that specialized knowledge. It just is. It just fundamentally is. And it's, it's harder than... Um, you know, looking at an amazing physical product and deciding like, okay, I can see the amount of hours that went into that. Um, you know, and the other thing about keeping it narrow versus wide. Um, and I was thinking about this when you were talking about how you started, right? I had similar challenges, both businesses that I've owned, the first one I grew and sold. And then this one, uh, there were moments where I, I, to be honest, and maybe you'd agree with this or not in the very beginning, there's an ego component that also makes it hard to keep it narrow. It's not just the benefits from like a kind of mathematical perspective that like everything will be easier if you could just have this force of will. The problem is the owner's own ego because every time you successfully deliver something, well, you kind of feel like I could do it again. (laughs) And so as you keep expanding and you keep getting that emotional hit, which only really happens to the same degree in professional services. Because in product, right? Sure, you're excited that you ship the new, you know, lawn chair, gaming chair. I, by the way, the reason my gaming chair is we're looking for a new gaming chair for my six foot six son, which is really hard to find a gaming chair that fits a six foot six kid. So anyway, that's what's on my mind this week. And um, so if anybody listening knows of gaming chairs for really tall people, send me an email and I'll be really happy to take a look at that. And so uh, anyway, uh, the... The point I'm trying to make is that ego hit, that little dopamine hit, you really have to watch for because in services, we all know what happens as a solopreneur. You delivered it. They loved you. You are awesome. By definition, that's the way it works. Whereas in product, it's like a little abstracted. They love our gaming chairs. The reviews are great on Facebook. So you can make, I think, a little more separation between you and the business. And so to, to roll this up, what I'm trying to say is like, even when I started this business, you know, I started getting speaking gigs around the world and clients around the world. And I started to kind of spread outside of B2B tech. And I had to rein it back in because, you know, who doesn't want to go to Exxon and Merck and, you know, Singapore? And like, I mean, it sounds, it's fun. It's exciting, right? But after a while, you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't have specialized knowledge anymore. I'm starting to turn myself into a GP and the bill rates go down and the ability to retain clients go down. And so it all goes back to being willing to literally turn down an Exxon 
Now, to some people, maybe that's easy. I don't know. To listeners, right? So say Merck. You know what I mean? Somebody who's saving lives today. I don't know. Take your pick. But the point is, you've got to be able to do that in the very beginning. And it's really, really hard. I agree. And a prime example that has nothing to do with, well, it sort of has to do with money, Gary Vaynerchuk. Now, Gary Vaynerchuk has a Jersey potty mouth. And if you watch his stuff, he will tell you he's left probably hundreds of millions of dollars on the table because he's like, I'm not going to not swear. Look, if you, he, I respect him because he is being true to who he is. Now, most people wouldn't do that. They're like, I'm not going to do that. But he said, look, at this is who Gary Vaynerchuk is. This is what I represent. This is what I'm going to do. If it doesn't fit, I'll just say no, which to your point is very difficult when you first start because you, you mentioned the pipe with a leaf dry, when the leaf dried leaf in that. When you're first starting, there's nothing in that pipe at all. There's probably not even a leaf there because right. you just put the pipe together. And it's really, it's really difficult to say no to someone that doesn't fit. It's easy when you get to be a Gary Vaynerchuk or a Grant Cardone or a Tony Robbins. But in the beginning, I got no clients, no money. That's reality. But I think, again, I, I give you credit for this. You got to develop that muscle when you start, because if you wait six months, two years, five years, and now you want to start saying no, well, you've been saying yes for all the time. Now it's like, oh, that muscle is atrophied and you can't say no as easily anymore. Well, and the other thing is by that point, you got all kinds of other problems. You know, we had a client come to us once, you know, because we we do market research services for the tech sector, right? This client came to us and it was a CMO of a fairly large mid-market, one of my favorite leads we ever got through the website. And the lead form basically said, um, we have 3,000 different distinct customer segments. Basically, when we started rolling out this SaaS service, nobody had the force of will to decide we had an, an ideal customer profile we wanted to target. So now we target everybody. Our marketing is all over the place. Our case studies are all these different types of companies with no consistency. Our messaging is incredibly hard to build from a marketing standpoint because we feel like we have to hit all these different customer types. Everywhere I turn in the company, there's somebody who's advocating for a certain customer type because they once upon a time sold the deal to them. And we're basically a mess. And the what, what, one of the things we said to them that I think helped us win the deal in the beginning was there was like 17 different people on video windows when they were deciding on vendors. And we were down to the final two. And they looked at me and they said, well, why should we pick you ultimately? Right. Classic question that kind of everybody hates at the same time has to have an answer for. Yeah. And I looked at the room and I said, I'd like to just stop you all from arguing. And I just stopped at that. And they all laughed and they were like, OK, good. That would be great. Like we would love. If research helps us stop arguing and we can make clear decisions, wonderful. Uh, and so, and we did. We told them who they should go after and who they should target. Um, so, but to your point, this is a multiple thousand person company that was dealing with the institutional debt of never having really decided who they wanted to target. And it created all kinds of dead weight in the company. Wow. And, and it's hard. And, you know, and you see that all the time. So, anyway. But I'm happy to talk about other stuff you think solopreneurs, you know, need help with because I, I, Lord knows this is an area of passion for me. So I'm happy to talk about it. The Productive Life, a membership for solopreneurs, will help you gain confidence and clarity, show you how to deal with overwhelm and teach you how to get and stay focused. To find out more and to sign up, visit theproductivelifemembership.com. 
I definitely can get that sense. I know the listener get that sense as well that you're really fired up about this. Well, let's talk about those who are listening to this conversation who have a services business. How do they grow that? Because we live in the world of social media, and I truly believe that if you're not on social media, you don't exist in the world. I, I really believe that. But there's social media, there's direct mail, there's there's still TV and radio and podcasting. There's so many options out there. So why don't you share with us how you grew your services firm and then the people who are listening can go, yeah, I, I see how I can take that and put it into my, into my services business. Well, let me start at a slightly different place, but we'll get to how we grew it. Is, um, I think the very first thing you have to ask yourself is, and again, this is super hard for services firm owners to do. Don't ask yourself what you're good at doing when it comes to writing or speaking or sharing. Ask yourself first where your customers go to ask those questions mm, yes. of you digitally. And most service promoters have a very hard time separating the two. Like a classic example is service promoters love giving conference talks. I mean, not as much since COVID, but even now they're probably all service promoters who used to give conference talks are probably like slowly crying at home that they can't go give conference talks and get the adulation of 200 people who all walked up and said, you're so awesome. And it's so great. And and this is from somebody who used to like doing that. And I still did a lot of it, right? Yeah. Um, I only slowed down because my kids got older and I didn't want to be on a plane everywhere. And, you know, but I, I love doing it, right? It was a lot of fun. It's an ego boost to stand in front of 2,000 people. Who, whoever says it isn't is lying. And so the, <laughs> yes. the, the, the point is, you know, you, but does that audience actually have a critical mass of the people you want to sell to? In many cases, you find like, hey, the conference is selling you to attend and be a speaker just as much as you're trying to convince yourself there's people in the audience that are actually worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And those three days you spent flying and going, forget about all the time it took you to build a talk and deal with the conference committee, because who likes dealing with conference committees anyway? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? They're all, you know, anyway, that's a whole different subject. We could have a podcast on how to deal with conference committees and not lose <laughs> your mind, because I feel like I've, I've learned a few things in that area. But you have to be very, very rational. Like, do they live in this channel? Like, for example, like, do, do they really live on social media? I would counter a little bit. Like in our business, like not, this is not true of all of them, right? I, I can give you an example of a, a business we know that's a great business that lives off Instagram. So I'll just balance this out. But for us, our clients don't give a wit about social media. They don't really show up on it. And it's odd because tech companies, of course, do. But the question is, when they're looking for a market research vendor, do they really go to social media for that? No, they use Google as their therapist. Uh, which is what everybody does, right? And so they go to Google's and our data shows this over and over again. Another weird thing about our data, hardly anybody comes to us through mobile. That seems weird. Like wow, every, yeah. people listening are probably like, what's what's broken in his head? He must not know something, <laughs> right? No, our data shows they don't come through mobile. They don't fill out because it's a business problem. They tend to solve it during the working hours. During the working hours, they're sitting on a laptop. So the majority of the time, Again, it's not like we have a cruddy mobile experience, but we don't have to over-optimize for it because our data shows that. Now, on the flip side, there's this outfit. Um, this isn't meant as a promo, just to give you like a reference to who these people are. This outfit called Jewel Hardwoods that does these amazing like live edge table things and whatever. They're friends of ours. They live down the road. And so, so they build these crazy cool live edge tables that like represent like Crater Lake or some natural wonder, right? Well, this is ready-made for Instagram. Like, why wouldn't you put it on Instagram, right? There's designers who want to put a table in a new uh, office building and they're living on Instagram. So that's smart, right? 
And so I think the very first step is talking to your customers. Or if you don't have a lot of customers yet, prospective customers, or if you don't have either one of those and you're just starting out, talk to somebody who can like be your rational compatriot and say, okay, Joe, I know you're good at this. Yeah, you give great speeches, but let's really ask ourselves after 19 weeks on the road, how many leads is that really going to get you? You know, and, and you got to ask the same thing about every channel you might go into. So that's step A. If you, if you do that with a rational mind, you will probably come up with fewer channels. They'll be the channels that really matter. And then you can optimize. So, so that turns us to our story. So in our story, you know, social media doesn't really matter. Mobile isn't as important. Um, we, um, we decided that everything, well, I shouldn't say we decided. The data told us that basically everybody was coming to us through Google. So we put a ton of emphasis on SEO. We also do something that we were told wouldn't work, pay-per-click. If we were told, <laughs> it's an interesting sidebar. Just recently, I hired a guy. I won't say who it is because this is a little bit of a negative story, although I would highly recommend the guy like at the end of this. But um, all he does is B2B pay-per-click. And so he comes to us and he looks at our account and he says, you're doing this totally the wrong way. This doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, okay, well, it's working. So four months after he's done working on the account, we have no leads when we used to have leads. And he says, okay, look, you guys were doing something right. And what we were doing was we were using Google AdWords a very different way than a product company would, but we were using it very effectively as a professional services firm. And, and it, it's kind of a niche subject for us to talk about, but I'd be happy to talk about it because he told me he'd been doing this for 20 years. And he said, you're really using this a really unique way. And it shows that you really, really understood your audience that you were serving. And I couldn't get there, even though I had a lot of experience with AdWords, because I didn't know your audience and I couldn't. I couldn't have had 21 years of experience with it. Um, so we do a lot of pay-per-click. We do a lot of SEO. Um, but if we do this chronologically, which might help. So chronologically, we start a business. We're two guys. Uh, we start out by doing a little too wide, like I hinted at. We get on a lot of planes. We do a lot of conference talks. Um, I start to think, I don't really want to do this the rest of my life. So we decide to build out a marketing team that does more than just dis not disqualify us like most owner sites, right? It exists to not disqualify you. Like it exists in time and space, but the website's not that good. And so we, we built out a marketing team. We focused on Google. We focused on pay-per-click. Um, and we don't do a lot of the things you would consider a traditional. We don't do a lot of conference talks. We don't write a lot of books. Um, I get on shows like this because it generates good backlinks, which helps float us in Google. I mean, I like getting on it. It's kind of a fun variation from what I used to do for conference talks. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a very clear-minded approach to how we generate leads. And we get a ton of quality leads every month. And it helps fuel our growth. Um, so, so anyway, so that's a little bit of narrative on us. And, you know, I'm happy to dig into any of that you want. Well, I want to just point out one word you said. And I want to make sure the listener doesn't miss it. You said data. A lot of people are going on feelings and what other people are doing. But you you focus on the data. And what I want to encourage the listener to do is take your emotions out of the decisions and look at your data. And if you're, to your point, if you are brand new, then maybe go find data that someone else that's similar to your industry and make those decisions. Based on that data, I think so many people are just going, well, this is a trend or this is what this guy's doing. Well, you're not that guy and that trend may not serve you. 
Look at the right. data. The data is there. And I, 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 when I look on social media, I ask people, why are you doing thus and such? They go, they don't tell me because the data or because the leads or because of this, that, and the other thing they say, well, John Doe's doing it. I'm like, wait, that he's got a totally different business. No, no, exactly. That, that, that's the thing. And which ties back into the ego thing. What you see underneath the covers there is the guy is saying, or the woman is saying, I believe I have the same skill as they do. So I can follow their same path. But the, but the problem is that those two things aren't entirely related. And, and just so people listening, like if they're going, oh, he's a data guy. He probably lives in Excel. He probably loves numbers. Let's be super clear about something. Uh, Sister Mary Gale, my junior year of high school, made it super clear that I was not going to be an astronomer because my math grades sucked. So And I did not do good in math. Uh, I was a liberal arts grad. I was a communication major. My master's degree was in communication. Uh, political rhetoric and instructional design. Who knew, right? And so my point is, I, I, I was the farthest thing from a number you could find, right? So all of this is really almost under duress. My natural instinct, for those of you listening, my natural instinct for the last 21 years is to just act on intuition. Now, intuition's not bad because I do believe if you can marry intuition with data, you'll win. You, you, will, you will win. You, you can't just win on data and you can't just win on intuition. Neither, because because the problem is if it's just data, by definition, you're just doing what everyone else is doing. There has to be some sauce that you're adding to it that comes out of intuition and creativity. Um, but anyone listening, just be super clear. I mean, I didn't start out as a numbers guy. I might be able to fake one now because I had to become one to make this thing successful and not waste time in bad places. Um, but and I can give you other examples if you want of things that we tried and then we realized the data was telling us this isn't a good idea. So then we had to back out of it uh, as well as things that did make sense. But yeah, I think you just to your point earlier, I'd sum it up this way. You know, if you don't have any of this, you don't have a pipe, you don't have a lot of customers, you're starting out. I bet you have a really good friend, though. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's a, a future business partner. Maybe it's just a colleague who just tells you the truth and can act as a really good sounding board, mm. sit down with that person, buy them a pizza, buy them a beer, you know, and, and just say, look, I want you to take a can opener to my head. And I really want you to tell me if I'm thinking through this the right way. Uh, because if you just act like you're a Marvel superhero and roll into this, <laughs> my guess is in two years, you won't have a business. You know, I, my wife is my best friend and I will run ideas from her. She doesn't know anything about the business and I'll just say ABC. And if she goes, huh? Okay. It's probably a good indicator, <laughs> but she goes, oh, that's fascinating. So sometimes I like how you said that. If you just ask someone who doesn't know anything about what you're doing, you say A, B, and C, what do you think about this? And look at the reaction. And if they look at you dumbfounded or they cock their head like a dog when you blow a whistle, that may be a, a, a sign for you to step back and go, whoa, this doesn't make any sense. Not just one friend, go to multiple friends. But uh, we covered a lot. I mean, it's like listening to you talk, Sean, is like drinking from a fire hose. But I, I, I know there's probably something on your heart that we didn't get a chance to talk to talk about today. So what is there anything on your heart you'd like to talk to us about? Well, there's so many things there. I bet. <laughs> you, you, you let me know it was coming. So, you know, and I um, and I want to tie it to the subject, right? Because there's obviously a ton of things that we could talk about. Um, I could talk about my passions for skiing or fishing or give people tips in that area <laughs> or tell everybody why they should get a Labrador because it makes life more fun or who knows what. But um, I would say 
you know, the, I'll give you two things if it's okay. They're, they're short enough that I think we can fit them in. Sure. I think the, the first thing is, um, you have to have things stacked right when you're a solopreneur. The business can't be at the top. I learned that in my first business. The business was at the top and family was below that. My faith life was below that. Um, everything was below that. Identity and the business were wrapped like a pretzel in the first business. The ability to sell a business and get out of it and stand back and look at it gives you a perspective that you know you can only get if you've done it. But it's great if you can force yourself to have it a bit sooner. So I would ask yourself if your business is your ultimate priority every day. And I would say regardless of what you've read, that's wrong. Just wrong. Family, relationships, you know, at some point you get out of that business. It either dies, you sell it, or you retire. Mm -hmm. And so by definition, there will be things that will outlast your business and make sure those are at the top of the list. The second thing I would say is that... um read. Yes. I know that sounds so simple, but just read. I, I am a guy who has, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up real quick while we're talking. Uh, I, I think I have something on the order of, yeah, 1,187 Kindle books. Wow. Uh, so, you know, that's just for, you know, I, I read voraciously and I don't just read. And this is the point I want people to take away. I don't just read stuff I agree with. Mm. I read all kinds of stuff I disagree with. I read stuff that that counters what I think about how I should market a business. I read stuff that counters how I think I should sell. I read stuff that counters how I should think about things that are happening in the world for that matter. And I, I think what we've lost, you could limit it to business, but I think it's true beyond business. What we've lost is the ability to interact with an idea that we disagree with. Mm. We've just lost the, in, we just don't seem to have it. Like we just reject it, like it's an antiproton, like it's antimatter, and it's going to destroy us. <laughs> and 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 that's not the way great things happen. It doesn't mean you have to agree with the antimatter. Yes, you can stand a safe distance away from the antimatter. That's all fine. But if you don't even know what it is, you're doing yourself a disservice. And even if we just limit it to business ownership. You have to at some point, and this is if we take, we talked a lot about the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey. Let's talk about middle age and later age of the entrepreneurial journey. You can't just be living off of the five business books you read when you started your business. You, you have to be reading things that are net new. You have to be talking to those millennials that maybe you don't like so much, right? You know, you have to be talking to generations of people who are solving problems differently. And, and I just think in some, if you can honestly tell yourself that the last time you read about any antimatter, to call it that, an anti-opinion to yours, or whether the last time you watched something on TV even that just disagreed with what you really think, and you really sat down there and tried to soak it in and understand it, do it. That's what I would tell people to do. I, I, to comment on that, number one, uh, one of my guests, pre previous guests, sent me a book called chasing the scream and it's it's all about uh you know we've tried this war on drugs for so long and we've gained no ground and their whole premise is maybe we should start legalizing drugs like heroin and cocaine so number one we can make sure they're pure we can make sure people are safe and i was always like yeah let's get the drugs off the street and they sent me this book and i i had an open mind i'm like 
well, let me read this. And now I'm actually starting to think, well, yeah, maybe that would be better because what we've been doing for 50, 60 years hasn't worked. Maybe we should try something different. So that's my first point. The second point is reread books. Now I read the Bible cover to cover every year. That's not what I'm talking about. Read the Quran, whatever. But what I mean is like, I've read the, the 10X rule by Grant Cardone. I've listened to it five times, read it three times. I read a couple pages every day. There's several other books that I read more than one. So because every time you read a book, you're going to be in a different stage of your life. So reread a book and you'll learn something new. I mean, I've read books four or five, like I've read 10 X rule, like, like I said, five or six times. It, I, every time I read it, I learn something because you can't grasp everything the first time you read it. So I'm a big fan of rereading books. I completely agree. There's a lot of things like that that stand out. There's a guy, um, David Maesters managing the professional services firm. He's now retired. Um, I've probably read it on and off every few years. It's one of those books, right? The E-Myth Revisited, yep. you know, with Thank the famous line in it, you know, yeah, yeah. You need to work on your business, not in it. You know, but I mean, the only bad thing about that book is you probably could have stopped reading the book after that sentence. Uh, it's one of those books where like, like the, the, there's the line. And as long as you can understand that one sentence, you know what I mean? Then, you know, the rest of the book is just explaining that sentence. But yeah, yeah. And I just say this to you, like, again, just to emphasize one point, I'm not saying you have to agree with the antimatter. I'm just saying you have to ask yourself as a business owner, Am I reading stuff that I disagree with and am I reading it enough with an open mind that I'm instantly not just trying to see where it's wrong? I'm trying to learn from it first. And if at the end you close the last page of your book and you're like, ah, they're wrong. Okay, I can live with that. That's fine. You know, you're entitled to make your own opinion. But if you never even open the book or the whole time you're just fighting with it, yeah, I think you're missing out. 100% agree on that. So where can people go to find out more about what you're doing and the dent you're putting in the universe? Uh, well, if you look up CascadeInsights.com, you'll find the company. And that's where you can learn about what we do for B2B tech companies and the market research we do and those kinds of things. If folks want to reach out to me, if they're just curious about like, hey, I, it sounds like some of the stuff you're dealing with or had dealt with is what I'm dealing with. And I'd love to talk. Um I, that that's all pro bono work I love to do. I'm always happy to talk to entrepreneurs out there and see how I can help them. Seriously. Like, so you could reach out to me at Sean at cascadeinsights.com. Uh, so S E A N at cascadeinsights.com. And I'd be happy to set up some time and we can compare notes on your journey and just kind of see where you're at. But, you know, to the folks that are listening, I just, just thank, thanks folks for taking a little time to listen to us go through all this stuff. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you being here and, you know, you weren't a guest that agreed everything I, I said, which I think is great. It makes more lively debate. So I appreciate how you stated your side very well. I think we had a great conversation and thank you so much for being here. Thanks, man. And before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. I know that there is an endless stream of options for you in this day and age, but you took the time to listen to the episode, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to head on over to top5productivitytips.com and get my gift to you, my top five productivity tips. Remember, it's the number five in top5productivitytips.com. They will serve you well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you again real soon.